And, uh, you know, we're getting into the Easter season, and um, contrary to common belief, the Easter season is not pastels and Easter eggs and chocolate bunnies. Uh, The Easter season is where we remember the death and the resurrection of our Savior. And what we're going to be doing over the, past, the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter is we're going to be looking at um, the, the, the cross and, the, and the, the importance of the cross in our lives. And so I'm excited for this. Now here's, here's what I understand as we go and we focus through the cross. There's two, there's two groups of people here this morning. Either you already are a disciple of Christ and you're familiar with the cross and you're grateful and you're thankful for the cross. Uh, But my encouragement to you this morning is if you already are a disciple, if you've already crossed that line of faith and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and made him Lord and Savior, the cross still is a daily thing that works in our lives. Um, And often what we can do is go, oh yeah, the cross. And I, you know, it's the gospel. And sometimes what we do with the gospel is we think of the gospel only as our initiation into Christianity. And then we somehow live as if God has called us to kind of figure out our Christianity on our own. And that is not true. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus, the cross is a daily thing that calls us to come and die and to be discipled by the cross. But there's some in this room who may not have crossed that line of faith. You may not identify yet as a Christian, and you're, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're on your, your, a journey. And I would encourage you this morning, the cross still applies to your life because the cross does call you to come and die, but the cross also brings freedom and liberation, and it sets you free from this thing we call the flesh, the, the, the evil desires that you know your heart has. And it's hard for you to walk out of, and you're like, oh, I wish I was a, I'm trying to make myself a better person. But the cross speaks to you this morning, and it says the only way that you can become the person that you're called to be is through the cross of Christ. And so there's two, two fo- folks here this morning. And so wherever you land on that this morning, this message is for you. Um, you know, most of us probably either have a cross necklace or a cross tattoo or a cross toe ring or something, I don't know. <laughs> but a lot of us, we, we live in a culture that the cross is a, a, it's a very popular icon. Um, and so for those of us who, who may have, have a cross tattoo somewhere, secret, I don't know, you don't have to expose it this morning, but who are familiar with that cross, a lot of what we do often is, you know, there's a cross hanging in the back. I, I put up a cross here this morning because I wanted us to have a visual remembrance A lot of the times what we do is we look at the cross and we go, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for me, right? And rightly so. But the thing about the cross is it it is not just a work that's been accomplished for us. There's something, another side of the cross, that often we don't carry out as Christians. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark, and we're going to look at chapter 8. And we're going to read verses 27 through 35. And Peter is with his disciples. And uh, he, well, let's just read it. Verse 27 of Mark chapter 8. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea in Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. 
And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. That means the anointed one. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Interesting, huh? And then verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. You see, often what happens, Jesus will speak in parables. If you read any of the Gospels, and often the disciples are like, uh, we know what you're talking about, Jesus. You know, they would say it in front of the crowd, but then they get Jesus alone and go, okay, now tell us what you meant by that, right? Um, because, you know, sometimes it wasn't clear for them. But Jesus, said, it says he just spoke plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke Jesus. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Has everybody, anybody ever been told to get behind Jesus as, as Satan? Have you ever been called Satan by Jesus? I, don't, I think that would devastate me. I think I'd be out. Like, if Jesus said, called me Satan, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. It's, it's over. Jeez Louise. Okay. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Verse 34. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? Let's, let's pray this morning. Jesus, um, man, these are hard words. And sometimes if we read this without understanding, uh, it can feel harsh. And so I pray that this morning as we unpackage the truth of what you said here, God, that it, would, it wouldn't be harsh, it would be life for us. As we contemplate the cross this morning, uh, I pray, Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would empower us to know how to lay down our lives for you and surrender, how to lose our lives for you. Where we've thought wrongly about this, where we've done religious things, thinking we're, we're making you happy, God, I pray that you would Correct our thinking this morning, and you would make a shift in our hearts, adjust us where we need to be adjusted. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So here's the thing, Peter freaks out, right? I mean, one, he's just been told by Jesus that he's Satan. That's like hardcore. He just called him like, it's like the worst name ever. I mean, you never, anyways. So Jesus is like rebukes him in front of everybody. And then, so Peter, then he says to the disciples, hey, I'm going to go die. Now, this is the first time that this has ever been mentioned in, in, the, in, the, in, in Israel. There's prophecies about the, about the Messiah who would suffer, but they didn't put the connection together that the actual chosen Messiah would suffer. They thought of the Messiah the, the saving one as a political ruling conqueror king who was going to come and knock down Rome, you know, and, put, and, and sit on a physical throne. And, and so when Jesus says, hey, I'm the Messiah, but by the way, I'm going to suffer and die, this was like, what are you talking about? 
This doesn't make any sense. And so what does Peter do? He freaks out, and then he pulls Jesus aside, and he rebukes him. Could you imagine rebuking Jesus? I mean, man, Peter. Peter is like, he's hardcore. <laughs> I, you, know, you know what I love? Is that we're going through the book of First Peter. And, and, and as we're looking at this here, Mark chapter 8, it's, you ever, were you ever in the lost or any, like, yeah, okay, somebody was. That was a proud <laughs> hand that went right up. I, we used to do lost parties, you know, we'd watch it. But every once in a while, you would do these flashbacks, you know? And that's what's happening here. It's like we've been seeing First Peter, he's older, he's mature, he's writing to the churches in, in modern-day Turkey, and he's like, everything he says is like, oh, you're so cool, Peter, I wish I could be like you. But what we're doing this morning is kind of like we're going hitting the rewind button, and then we see a younger Peter, right? And he's this idiot. And he's, he's, he, Jesus is calling him the devil, and then he's rebuking Jesus. And you see here, Peter pulls Jesus aside, and he rebukes him, and he's like, Jesus, what are you talking about? You can't die? Because he didn't have the, thing, the mind of Christ. He had the mind of men. And see, when Peter doesn't, or Jesus doesn't just stop there and rebuke Peter. He then, it's almost like he stands Peter up in front of the class and says, listen boys and girls, don't be like this. Because he continues and says, not only will the Son of Man suffer and must die, must, but he says, if you want to be a disciple of me, you too must take up your cross and follow me. I'm sure you could have, there was probably chins on the floor, mouths agape. What just happened? Because this so this this truth that Jesus is telling his disciples is an affront to ourself. Right? And so when I'm telling you guys, hey, most of us have crosses, tattoos, jewelry, whatever, it's it's when we look at it, we go, Oh, thank you, Jesus. But too often we don't look at it and go, That's for me to bear as well as a disciple of Jesus. We separate ourselves from that last part of what Jesus said when he says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and do the same thing. To follow Christ, he says, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow him. Now, here's the problem. We often think of bearing our cross wrongly. So, you might be here this morning and say, well, I have a heart condition, it's just my cross to bear. Uh, I don't make a lot of money, so it's my cross to bear. Or uh, I have a really low IQ, you know, I don't know. <laughs> just kidding. And you ever hear people say that? Like, oh, you know, I have this condition, it's just my cross to bear. That's not what Jesus is talking about when he says, take up your cross. What Jesus is calling you and me as disciples of Jesus, when he says, take up your cross and follow him, what he's saying is, Die. Wait a minute. What? Die? I thought, I thought Christianity, I hear preachers on TV saying, you know, I'm the head, not the tail. And if you're a Christian, your life's going to be better. And, you know, do all these things and Jesus will bless you. And you'll have full bank accounts. And, you know, give to this, all these kind of things. Wait a minute, Jesus, Kelly, what you're saying this morning is 
to lay down my life, to pick up my cross is to lay down my life, is to die. See, we, we, we think of the cross as an ancient way of religion. Often we think of it, we, we think of it religiously. But if, it's, if Jesus was right here in the year 2018, and he was, if we were to just re- have recorded this little saying maybe last week, he's around us with his disciples, Jesus wouldn't say, pick up your cross. He would say something like, put your life on the electrical chair. Well, we don't do the electrical chair anymore. Go to lethal injection. If you want to be my disciple, you should undergo lethal injection. We'd all be like, what the heck? This is a weird cult. What are you talking about? But see, Jesus, when he was saying, come to me and die, he's saying, your finances, put them under lethal injection. Your relationships, lethal injection. Your comfort, put it under lethal injection. Your religion, Put it under lethal injection. The way you think church should be, the relationships that you have, everything, your 401k, whatever it is, he's saying, take all of the things that you think you are and that are so precious to you that you're so afraid to let go of and walk them to the lethal injection room, lay them on the table, stick the needle in, and push the button. Ugh. Man, aren't you so glad you're here this morning? <laughs> First problem is, when Jesus says stuff like that, some of us in this room go, well, I'm not that bad. I don't really deserve death. You know, I'm a mostly a good person. What I really need is 60% of my goodness, and I need the other 40% of Christianity, and if I could put the two together, I'll be... Right with God. I'm not that bad. (laughs) I want to tell you this morning, that is not true. (laughs) See, you are that bad. Just one sin separates us from God because God is perfect and he's holy. And in order for us to have relationship with God who is perfect and holy, we have to be perfect and holy. And only Jesus, through the cross, made us perfect and holy because he poured out his righteousness in our lives. So that when the Father looks at us, he goes, yeah, you're that bad, but I look at and I see my son, the work on the cross that he did for you, and so therefore I accept you. But it's a a misnomer to think that you can just add Christianity. It's not an ingredient to our lives that we can just kind of add here and there. A dash of holiness, a dash of righteousness, Fold in two eggs, fold in two walking ladies across the street, whatever. Fold in some I gave to this charity, and voila, you have a perfect birthday cake that God's pleased with. It doesn't work that way. But then there's another group of us here this morning who may say, I don't want to go under lethal injection. You know, you might be like, well, I don't need that that much, but then there's another group of us that says, I don't want to do it. I don't want to die to self. I don't want to give over all these things that I have. I like the way I am. But that's not what Jesus gives us the option to do when he calls us to be his disciple. It's the death of self. 
We have all these self-words, right? Self-reliance, um, self-confidence, self-improvement. That's a big one today. Or what's, what's this one? What's that? The self-E. If you have an Instagram account or if you're under the age of 18 and you're a female, <laughs> there you, your selfie account is probably higher than most average people, right? Because we're a selfie generation. We're a selfie-centered culture. And this is not a popular sermon. <laughs> the world says, are you crazy? Just like Peter. Yeah, uh, I don't know if you guys know this guy named Jim Gaffigan. He's a comedian, and he talks about selfies. And I, I love him. I mean, he's just, he's like the modern day. He's pretty clean, uh, but he talks about people working out at the gym, you know, Isaac. <laughs> and he's like, why do they have a mirror at the gym? You know, if I, I already know what I look like, that's why I'm going to the gym, right? But he goes, most people, the, you go to the gym and you're like, I would like to look at myself. Well, I work on myself, <laughs> and maybe I'll record myself so I can listen to myself while I look at myself, while I work on myself, <laughs> and maybe read Self Magazine while I improve myself, you know? You can just hear him saying it, right? But it's so true. We do that. We, everything is self, self, self. But the cross says die, die, die to self. So let me just... I mean, we usually ask this question when we wrap up, but let me just throw it out to you this morning. What are the areas of your life that you need to die to self? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, I got a ton of these things. But as disciples of Jesus... I mean, if we are disciples, being like Jesus, we go to the cross just like he went to the cross. And like I said earlier, it's not just a one-time thing. It's every day, right? Every day. I mean, I'm confronted with a fork-in-the-road decision every day, whether I'm going to put myself on the cross or whether I'm going to choose self. It's easier said than done, right? I mean, we could all probably say, yes, we're supposed to die to self. Let's look at Mark again, but turn to chapter 14. And start in verse 32. This is uh, Jesus in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's about to go to the cross, literally. Let's read through for, verse 42. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John. There's Peter again, all right? Uh, Peter and James, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled, because he's about to go to the cross. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he, some other versions say he like a, a throne stowaway a stone's throw away. Uh, he was away from the disciples. He fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. I don't know if that grips you. 
like Jesus asking the Father, hey, is there any other way that this can happen? Verse 36, he said, Abba, Father, that's like Daddy in Hebrew. All things are possible for you. Remove this cut from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. He asked the Father again, and again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and, t- and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So, you know, I, I could preach all this stuff about, hey, lay down your life and die. And the problem with this is sometimes we romanticize the idea of dying for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I do. A little bit. Like, if I were to be a martyr, there would probably be, like, music playing in the background. Ah, you know? And, like, choirs and, like, you know, my wife looking at me, like, be strong. And, you know, and it's almost this romantic picture that we see. You see it in the movies. Right? Yeah, I could do that if there was a choir behind me. <laughs> I could do that. It's, it's, I'm going to, you know, even Peter, before he, be, before he uh, fa- uh, falls asleep, he's like, Jesus, I'll die for you. Never, I'll die for you. And then when he can't even like stay awake. Peter had this romantic idea of what it mean, what it meant to die for Jesus. And you and I often feel the same way. We think, oh, that's so far out there that one day I'll lay my life down for Christ. But when we're thinking about laying our life down for Jesus, I mean, it's all the things that Peter's been telling us these past few weeks. I love that we're, we're able to hold First uh, Peter, and now we're going through this hand in hand. Like I said, it's a rewind. Because what Peter, Peter's lived this. And when he says, hey guys, be subject to all human authority. What is he saying? Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Being subject to all human authority, that's not very romantic. That's not very sexy, right? Or, um, hey, be subject to your bosses. That's not very romantic. Or, wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives, and honor her, and cherish her, or et cetera, et cetera. All these things that Peter's saying, this is how You die to self. It's in the day-to-day things. But we often romanticize it and we're going, like, I will die for Jesus. Hey, we're going to have prayer. Oh, I can't come out to prayer. I'm I'm not trying to put guilt trip on anybody, okay? (laughs) But I mean, it's just things we say. It's things I say, right? Hey, we would love to have this. And you need to join a serve to all these things. It's like, well, I'm going to die for him. But, man, that's way too much. Man, dying to self is in the day-to-day things. Like when I, w- I wanted to like beat that guy up when I honked at him, 
right? If you didn't hear the story, I honked at somebody just a little too long. He got upset. Got out of his car and let me know he was upset. I'm telling you that in my honk was like death. Honestly. I was like, I hope this is killing him in my heart. If I would have been dead to self in that moment, all my anger, my rights, and I wouldn't have honked. Honestly, I would have been like, Lord, please bless this man. And we think that's so, oh, you're so spiritual. But that's where I would have been if I would have been dead to self. And so when the garden, these garden of Gethsemane moments come in our lives where we think, I'll die for Christ. And Jesus is like, you can't even stay awake. What do we do with those? Now here's the beautiful thing. You know, Jesus asks the Father three times, Dad, is there any other way for this to be accomplished? But he surrenders in his heart. He's like, not my will, yours be done. And Jesus had the cup. He, he drank the cup, right? The wrath of God. And he experienced alienation from his father. But for you and I, the beautiful thing, when we take up the cross, when we die to self, we don't experience alienation from the father. We experience reconciliation. It is amazing. See, because Jesus in the garden wrestled, he did it three times, and he came to grips. You notice that at the end, he's like, hey, listen, you guys still aren't praying, that's fine. I've already come to grips. I've already surrendered this area of my life. Look, my betrayer's coming now. It's fine. I, even, I don't know if you read the King James Version. The King James Version here almost seems like he, he's like the third time when he's telling the guys to pray. He's almost, really, he's like gentle. Like I often read this and like he's super annoyed with the disciples. But in the King James Version, he's like, listen guys, I love you. It's okay. He's like, take your rest. And the beautiful thing for, for us, we have this call to come and die, is that not only do we experience reconciliation with the Father when we put our lives on the cross, but we, we, we're not called to a cross-formed life with harshness. Jesus doesn't go, hey, put your life on the cross, you worthless scums. He's not a drill sergeant yelling down from heaven. He's saying, I've experienced the same pain. And I've experienced the ultimate pain. You know, Jesus, there's other martyrs who died. Who died without, it seems, like fear. I I read accounts this week of two men who were dying next to each other being burned at the stake. And the things they said, they didn't even wince. The guy was like, hey, do you want to refute your faith? And they're like, no, zero. I'm not saying it right, but there's zero of fear in them. And we look at Jesus and you say, man, he was greatly sorrowed. And it's not so much the fact that he was going to experience pain, physical. I'm sure that was part of it because he was fully man. But it's the fact that in the first time of the existence of time, if our minds can even get around that, that he was going to be separated from the Father. 
that pain of separation was too much for Jesus to bear. But he did it. Why? This is our last kind of thing to think about here this morning. For the joy that was set before him. What is that joy that was set before Jesus? Was it the fact that he knew he was going to be raised again three days later and, you know, all the angels are going to sing. He was going to, yeah, take that devil. Maybe part of it. But I think the joy that was set before Jesus was you this morning. Was the people that have yet to hear his voice. Was the fact that we are sitting here this morning free. And if you have put your hope and faith in him, that was the joy. He willingly went to the cross for you and for me that we could experience, that we could sing songs this morning and that we're not just singing them, that when we're singing them, God's presence is filling our hearts. You know how different that is in every other religion? You know how different it is that we have a relationship with God? And that's the joy that was set before Christ as he went to the cross. In John 19, it says he physically picked up the cross and walked to Golgotha, which means the place of the skull where they would crucify people over and over and over, and he picked up his cross, beaten. The Bible says that you couldn't even recognize him. And for you and me this morning, what's, what's the joy that is set before us as we go to the cross? See, because you could hear this sermon this morning and go, well, okay, I'm supposed to be a good Christian. I need to take up the cross. You just do it out of religion, do it out of just dry, dead, religious duty. There's no joy in it. What's the joy in you taking up the cross? Is it that you think you're going to earn brownie points with God? Is it whatever? No. Our joy is that it's what I mentioned before. Jesus experienced alienation from his Father. But for you and me, we experience reconciliation with our Father. And just like Jesus saw, the millions, I mean, Billy Graham, right, just passed away. And what did we do? We celebrated who knows how many thousands and thousands of people came to Christ. Jesus saw that. Jesus saw Billy Graham preaching in, in stadiums and saying, I don't know how he does it, but you know, and now thousands of you right now are going to come up and receive Christ. And they go, oh, okay. Jesus saw that moment. He sees us right now. What do you see when you go to the cross? Is it, ugh, ugh. I gotta, I gotta give my money, ugh. I gotta help people, ugh. Okay, I'll do it. Or is it, Lord, when I surrender my life, when I lay my life down, I find life. See, Jesus says, if you wanna find your life, Lose it. I'm just going to finish with this C.S. Lewis quote. He says this, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. 
Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Isn't that beautiful? Will you stand with me this morning?